So are they supplying the drugs then? No, of course not. Okay, so just so let me understand then. So it's illegal to import drugs into the country still? Drugs are still illegal. Illegal? Yeah. Okay. All right, it's so the I, I, personal use. Just the personal use. Personal possession okay. for personal use, that's no longer criminal. Okay. So if you're trafficking it or you're bringing it in, it's illegal. If you give it to a minor, it's illegal. Okay. So uh, if you give it to somebody under 19, you can get four to 12 years in jail, right? You might okay. not. They don't always enforce it. But you could. You could. So there's a lot there's a lot of stuff happening right now in social media in kind of both sides of the both sides of the border uh, about drug policy. There's a lot of a lot of good friends of ours seem to be in there's there's a lot of um, a lot of conflict, kind of very strong discourse that uh, folks are having about drug policy. You know, people we respect, I would say, on both sides of the fence for sure. If it's a fence, I don't know if it's a fence or a border or whatever mean, argument. Both sides of the argument. Can you say that? Yeah, I, I think you say there's both sides of the argument, but the problem is that there's so many arguments being had about so many different things, and they overlap, they, they conflate, they all mix together and melt. And and I've seen this kind of disagreement uh, in uh, working this field for a while. I've never seen it uh, have a national prominence in the news. And yeah, this is a whole new world from uh, my end. I've seen disagreements about uh, whether you should uh, use methadone, whether you should not use methadone, uh, whether you should uh, provide harm reduction supplies or not, uh, whether you should give somebody with a uh, pain condition pain meds if they have a history of addiction. I've seen intense, intense arguments. I've never seen it on the news and on Twitter uh, and on uh, political uh, campaigns the way that I'm seeing it uh, now. This is a whole new ballgame. Right. So it seems like uh, the, the the field that we work in, the, the policy has kind of been weaponized right now. Is that fair? Like, it, not by necessarily... Yeah, no, no, but I mean, it's hard for... Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I mean, I'm still learning what these term weaponized means, you know? And when, when COVID hit and the news just started going ape, whatever, what, 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 I don't know what the expression is, but I just, I, I couldn't... I couldn't pay attention to it. I just, uh, right. I had trouble. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was intense. Uh, and, uh, and now with this, uh, I feel, you know, being both of us, you know, working regularly with people who use drugs, being at tables that sometimes decide organizations policy, you know, on harm reduction. And sometimes we agree with the people at the table and sometimes we don't. Right. right. And uh, it just, it seemed like, uh, yeah, it's been coming up a lot. And we've been talking about it a lot, right? Like, yes, uh, we have. And it seems that there's a, like, I think inside, you know, kind of the uh, traditionally, I think the, or the rooms that I've been in, I haven't been in as many as you have, but uh, you know, where where addiction medicine stuff gets uh, spoken about by people that work in the field, there seems to be a little bit more uh, of a collegial approach. But for people that work uh, that don't work in the field um, and actually sometimes have no idea what they're talking about, unfortunately, or you know, I mean, or have and no reason they should because they don't work in the field, uh, have kind of the temperature has gone up. Yeah, and, and I think I think we can even pull back a little bit, right? So when when you look at uh, the world of addiction medicine, and you look at traditional substance use treatment centers like the twelve step centers, there was a lot of animosity between the two, right? And and part of it was because psychiatry used to put people on benzodiazepines and other medications. These uh, treatment centers had to take people off of it, and there was a whole controversy about whether or not methadone should even be allowed in these places. And the conversation got quite intense and. 
quite upsetting. And I think one of the reasons you see this addiction medicine world be a little bit uh, collegial, or the traditional traditional addiction medicine world, is that you know they've spent uh, or they've been part of a culture for about 10, 20, 30, 40 years just trying to get legitimacy within medicine. It's only been about, uh, let's say, about three to five years that in Canada they've had added certification in addiction medicine. In the States, um, it was only an official board uh, certified uh, specialty within the last uh, 10 years. But people have been practicing in this field for like 30, 40 years. So all, all I'm saying is that you you do see this collegiality around around oh, methadone or this or, or that. But you have to remember uh, this is a subset of people that work with people who use drugs that have been trained in this addiction medicine philosophy of uh, care. Right. And so now what's what's happened is we've got we've got a lot of new entrants into this kind of conversation, which is uh, the the fentanyl, the the, you know, the the kind of toxicity of the illicit drug supply. It's been a big a, a big new thing, right? In those in in the last five years, or more from 2017, I think it it, it kind of was. A, yeah, and then it took off. Uh, come COVID, it just went right. to a whole other level, right? right. Like just like bam. So that's, but that was when I think you were telling stories, right, about how when you're working in the shelters, you all of a sudden. I mean, people have used drugs for how many years in shelters? Forever. Forever in, in shelters, as long as shelters have existed. And all of a sudden, one summer, three, four ambulance calls and a shift, right? right. People are overdosing and, yeah. uh, and dying. And it, it hasn't stopped, right? Yeah. So it hasn't stopped. So oh, now we're- It's horrible to think about, hey? We're six years into it. It's still happening. Yeah. And I think that's 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 one of the big things. And that brought a lot of people in that turned this into a, a public health emergency, whether it's classified as one in which jurisdiction you're in or not. It's a public health emergency. Yeah, yeah people are dying, right? Yeah, people, people are dying, are dying. from unpredictable uh, fentanyl. Right. Unpredictable so, opiates. So now everybody's kind of, we're all struggling to find what the right answer is, whether it's, you know, uh, the introduction of, of safe supply, uh, you know, uh, embracing harm reduction the way that, you know, the, you and I <laughs> believe in quite quite adamantly. And, and we're all kind of looking for policy. And that's why it's brought a lot of politicians into the conversation as well. A lot of, a lot of families that have lost loved ones have been have been activated by this obviously you know passionate about it there's a lot of passion a lot of passion on both sides of whatever the conversation is so we're all kind of going around struggling so for what's the right answer for this and um what i what we wanted to talk about today is 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 another jurisdiction not on our continent that has has their own answer called portugal right so portugal is uh doesn't have those. There's there's a one big uniqueness is that they don't really have a fentanyl problem. But leaving that aside for a moment, they came up with some radical policies about I don't know. Uh, I think 25 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And um, so I, I thought it was uh, maybe useful for uh, you and I to talk about that and uh, and and see if there's uh, anything uh, anything you know we should learn from them. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, after we chatted a bit, I did a little bit of reading, and there was three main uh, documents that I went through uh, in in a bit of depth, and maybe we could share those links so Great. I can uh, can go through it. And you know, what is decriminalization? What does that mean? How does it work? And and I think when it jumped up to the foreground for me was when there was an article I think in the uh, National Post talking about involuntary treatment in Alberta, and then there was some Twitter comments uh, about, oh, this is just the Portugal model. Why are you getting upset? And then somebody else was 
not the Portugal model. What do you know about what you're talking about? And then I realized I didn't know what I was talking about, so I couldn't even get in the discussion. So just guide me. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes like to tell uh, stories, and there were some very interesting stories that came out. And, and now, especially with a lot of uh, sociologists uh, getting into medical uh, research, you're getting we're getting really nice narratives, right? Because what do medical people do? They do numbers, they do stats, do that. But now with sociology, people get nice narratives, and there's really nice narratives in the documents. So historically, you know, uh, Portugal has been under this, uh, I think you'd call it totalitarian regime until the late 19th. Uh, zero tolerance on drug use. They had people still out sort of in the colonies. And around the end of the 1970s, the people from the colonies came back to uh, Portugal. Uh, and also it was no longer under totalitarian rule. And historically, it's been very conservative, very Catholic, very family uh, sort of uh, based. And, and what happened around the, started slowly in the late 70s, then in the 80s, then in the 90s, was that drug use was becoming more common uh, and also was more in a public place as well, right? And so cannabis uh, went uh, up and people were growing and uh, using their own cannabis. Heroin uh, went up uh, as well. And and people were using it in public, in public places as well. And around the mid to late 90s, what ended up happening is that um, the public felt it was either the top or one of the top three uh, concerns uh, that were going on. Was drug use for folks in their community? That's exactly it. Yeah, that's okay. exactly it. And and there was a strong belief that the criminalization and the punishment of these people weren't uh, weren't working. There was that belief as well, just based on well, based on these articles, based on a couple of the polls and stuff that were going around. And so, around, so were they? Were they? Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. they, were they following on that tough on drugs kind of eighties thing that was happening in the U.S.? Not necessarily following, but it, but it was it was a harder criminal. There's criminal consequences for for having for using drugs. Yeah, so there was a criminal consequences consequences for trafficking. There was criminal consequences for light trafficking and light use, and there was criminal consequences for uh, just personal uh, personal use. But it wasn't working. Well, that's what uh, that's what it was felt like at that that time. And and you know there was a lot of apprehension about decriminalization uh, for it. A lot of the police at that time felt that they used a lot of these people that were using light drugs as informants around what was happening in the larger trafficking uh, circles. What are know? light drugs? Well, so just the amounts for personal use. Okay. Right? So like Small the, amounts. Then. Small amounts, yeah. Okay. So it could be cocaine, it could be heroin, but it's just the smaller amounts. And, and, you know, they even have amounts, what they would consider small amounts, and it's absurdly low compared to today. Okay. And back then they felt it was like this was like the average sort of use. So there were some concerns from there. There were some concerns around the decriminalization would encourage use. So a lot of the uh, right-wing politicians were very concerned that if you decriminalize it, it'll um, encourage uh, use uh, that was um, mm -hmm. there. And other people were quite concerned about actually how do you implement it and roll it out and and what they what they did was they created this administrative stream and so normally you know when you're you're caught with possession of uh, stuff for personal use uh, you you you'd have criminal charge you'd have a trial and and uh, and there's other places where they would guide you to treatment but you still get a charge so they change it so there's no more charges around anymore okay in uh, in Portugal and even a couple about the year before as it was coming on they just sort of waited to see what happened and then you go through this administrative uh, committee and there's like 40, 50 different jurisdictions that have their own committee that's all similar design where they'll have two healthcare providers and sometimes they'll have a lawyer and sometimes a community member and they try to create an environment where they, I think the term they use is 
dissuasion, dissuasion of drug use. Okay. They're trying to sort of discourage, and they do it through the forms of education and sometimes harm reduction. And they try to divide people who use drugs into two categories, those light, casual users versus ones that are significantly uh, addicted. Okay. Right? And obviously, the discrimination between the two can get complicated uh, sometimes. Sure. Even when you're trafficking versus using, right? Like, are you trafficking because that's how you get the money for the, the drugs? And so the ones who are light users would be more around uh, education, you know, for it. They'll have to go through some kind of education uh, program. And then if they get a second or third, then they might have to sort of do more. Okay. And the harm reduction, one, they, they technically couldn't force you into treatment. It would just, it would just strongly be uh, encouraged. Okay. You know, and they would make sure you knew all the risks and stuff. They had a bunch of other stuff going on at the individual level, and so they felt that the whole war on drugs was a failure, right? So when they looked at what happened in the States, they felt this failed miserably, right, in terms of whatever thing they had. So what they had, they had groups of social workers or healthcare workers or educators. So can you, sorry to interrupt, could you just back up a little bit? So are they supplying the drugs then? No, of course not. So they're not, they're not giving drugs to people? No, they're not giving drugs to people. So how are you getting your drugs? So that's the other part. So I, I didn't go into that. Okay. So they, they took away all of the law enforcement from punishing the individual. Okay. To trying to stop the trafficking and the entry of drugs into the country. Okay. So just, so let me understand then. So it's illegal to import drugs into the country still? Drugs are still illegal. Illegal? Yeah. Okay. All right. It's so the I, I, personal use. Just the personal use. Personal possession okay. for personal use. That's no longer criminal. Okay. So if you're trafficking it or you're bringing it in, it's illegal. If you give it to a minor, it's illegal. Okay. So uh, if you give it to somebody under 19, you can get four to 12 years in jail, right? You might okay. not. They don't always enforce it. But you could. You could. You could, yeah. And so they, they felt that by protecting whatever the borders, protecting the drugs from getting in, all that stuff. I mean, I, I didn't say this uh, back then, but but around 99, the, the rates of uh, injection drug use in HIV in people who use drugs was going up as well. And that was also one of their biggest concerns. The deaths were high for them at that time. It was a bit okay. of a shock and that was high and that was what they were targeting. So it's not a, it wouldn't be a crime for the individual for possession. It would be a crime if you were trafficking and using, although they sometimes didn't prosecute it, they would sometimes give you benefit of the doubt. But if you're trafficking at a large scale, it absolutely would be a crime if you're importing it it would be a it would be a crime and if you were selling it to minors uh, it would be a crime if you were a minor and you went to that tribunal you had a lawyer there to represent you because they felt that you can make those decisions they did have some uh, provisions where like some of these uh, people were more scared of their parents than the the drug courts or whatever they called them they called them the cdts or something like that and so they had something where they they wouldn't necessarily send a letter to your house but you had certain expectations you had to follow through Okay, and so so how so so the 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 business of selling drugs is still illegal. Yes, but are the where where are the doctors on all this? Can you get drugs from your doctor? No, you can't. No, so there's no safe supply equivalent in. No, well, not then, not then. There were talks about um, methadone and providing heroin treatment as well. Yes. And they may have had some of those. So they, they were pushing for uh, rapid access to methadone uh, treatment. But back then, uh, methadone uh, treatment versus detoxification were very closely linked. And there was a push for um, uh, heroin-assisted uh, treatment uh, as well. Although I didn't go over if or how it was rolled out. I just know in the preliminary discussion documents, uh, they, they were talking about that as well. Okay, so. So are you saying then that uh, Canada is, is 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 beyond Portugal in a way, or certainly as far as access to drugs? If I it's say, a different model, it's different a different model. model of care. Okay, but so if I want, if 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 I go to Portugal and I'm or I, I'm let's say I live in Portugal and 
and and I would like to you know access pain medication because that speaks to me and it's something I have a history with. It's going to be harder than it is in Canada. Yeah, so the drug tourism actually didn't go up. That's one thing they were worried about: drug tourism going up. But I think if you still have the act of selling it as being illegal, how are people going to going to get it? Okay, right. So it's not illegal to to buy it, but it's legal to sell, right? And so okay, all right, that has its own uh, implications and stuff. I should probably look more in terms of what medicalized things they did offer. Uh, when I did look at the methadone stuff, the doses were absurdly low and it wasn't clear whether in the documents I looked at whether it's for detoxification or for what but they had an addiction treatment arm uh, that included a social worker included like a harm reduction uh, teaching included like uh, education I think they called them technicians like addiction whatever technicians that could teach you about the basics and they also had addiction and medicine that included like uh, methadone access to methadone and okay. opiate agonist treatment now what about treatment if I want to go into treatment what's the pathway for me to go into treatment if I want to if I choose to go to treatment Oh, yeah, you can go to treatment. Okay. let you go to treatment. How long does it take to get in? That I don't know. But it, when you're going to those meetings, so say, for example, if you get, uh, well, you're not getting charged, but you get, uh, what, what word did they use? Basically, you go to this uh, Well, in Canada, we would call it diversion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I didn't. I don't know if I want to use the same term, but okay. yeah. But pretty much, you you don't get charged. You go but to in this a practical try- sense, that is diversion. Diversion yeah. from the criminal yeah. consequences. I mean, that's yeah, the term and, we use. And there's no charge. Yeah, so there, there's no charge either. No criminal record, no nothing. And you go to this group, and this group is offering it to you regularly, then you get to go immediately. You know, and uh, I mean, uh, this wasn't in the documents I read, but when I uh, talked to uh, my, my friend who visited Portugal, who saw some of these places, the, the police and the social worker work side by side, right? Uh, and, and in fact, you know... Well, initially, we don't do a good job of that here. No, we don't. And when when the program started, a lot of the police officers were quite concerned, but they felt it was a lot of the more senior ones that were concerned about decriminalization and it having that uh, impact. They also thought they would lose their informants, uh, and initially that might have been a bit of the case, but in the long run, uh, that wasn't because of other avenues they were using to try to sort of block that, that care. And now the police actually feel like they're helping people when they go and see them, right? At least according to these a couple of these studies, but these are older ones, right? So the ones that I read were like 2007, 2009, that were summarizing the impacts of the study. So I haven't gone over the stuff in the last decade. It might have shifted since then. Okay. So what what I'm hearing is that they've kind of resourced the kind of social supports in a much more robust way than maybe we have. Yeah, because sometimes here, you know, for decriminalization, when we we think about it, like sometimes they, they just don't charge people. Right, so it's still uh, technically a, a crime, but maybe they don't charge, they don't do this, they don't do that. Yeah, but but they're definitely not uh, amping up the social services, right? No, it takes cont- to get a, a client into uh, into treatment. It's taking me like you know twelve weeks sometimes. Yeah, I'll have to check because I, I don't know how long it takes to get into care, but I know each province uh, has its own uh, center uh, for this, uh, where the second you get caught with possession, you you go for a meeting with them, right? And uh, that's a, So you you almost have immediate access to a social worker, what I'm hearing. Yeah. Well, we don't have that here. Well, well, the the meeting is, I think it's more just that, that decision, but the, the board actually, the, the, the three people, they also educate you. They also educate you about the harms of substances and the challenge it can cause. And a lot of the documents also talk about very clear uh, provision uh, and prov- uh, of uh, harm reduction supplies, right? So whether it's like, yeah, like needles, uh, syringes, smoking kits, things like that. Okay. Well, that's, um, that's, that's, that's interesting. It's interesting that the, it's a difference. I, I wasn't quite aware of the, uh, of, of the nuances to the kind of decriminalization. Now, uh, what about, so is fentanyl there? No, I don't know why. It's not there. Okay. 
I'm not sure why it's not there. It was only uh, it was only heroin back then, and the heroin use is quite a bit lower now. It's it's incredibly lower. In fact, cannabis is uh, probably the one that's being used much more uh, much more often. When uh, it was decriminalized, the the rates went up dramatically for cannabis use, mm-hmm. uh, but the rates were still lower than it was in the European Union, right? So Portugal historically has actually had a low substance use rate compared to other places in the European Union, and I think a lot of that was because of the totalitarian regime that was there till the end of the 19 and the the strong Catholic and family sort of background and then in the 80s and 90s as it got exposed to the rest of the EU and their borders opened that's where the other stuff happened the other thing that the group was quite proud of uh, well it sounded like it based on the evaluations was the drug use rates for those under 19 went down dramatically okay. right so they somehow protected people under 19 uh, the rates for uh, 21 plus uh, did go up you know for the cannabis especially but they eventually uh, dropped uh, down to levels uh, below uh, 2001 but this is around 2008 2009 Interesting. But, so, I don't, but I don't know the last decade. Last decade didn't go so over. I know the, the, you know, the, whatever the terminology is, the school's still out or whatever the expression is about our own research here. But we sort of, uh, with our own cannabis use in Canada, I think there's, uh, I know you said you're not set on the research of it, but uh, isn't there some research that our cannabis use went up as well with decriminalization of cannabis? That's that's what I've, I've read a number of times that maybe that's... Yeah, so I mean, I, I believe that. Uh, it's tricky because you know, then the, the, those three papers that, oh, merge visits aren't up or this isn't up, then you have another one that says that, oh, psychosis like is up. I just, no, no, uh, I don't need, I don't, I'm not speaking yeah. of the consequences or, or I'm not even offering a, an opinion on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we both have different, different thoughts on that perhaps, but, uh, it's gone up, but I, I don't know that yeah. for, I haven't looked at the actual numbers. Right. I mean, and, I mean, and in fact, in fact, in Portugal, when the, the use went up, they thought, Hey, is the use actually going up? Are people disclosing it now? Are people just more comfortable disclosing it? I think you in know? Canada you would say that now that it's legal. Well, everyone, uh, yeah, you have to actually ask about it explicitly because you ask somebody, hey, do you use drugs? Uh, they, they don't even bring up cannabis. Right. And they and and if you ask someone, do they smoke cannabis and they if it was illegal, I'm sure that you're not going to get too many people saying yes and putting their self on the record, right? Yeah. So, but, uh, but I'm sure there's some uh, objective ways that they measure this. And I, 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 I think the evidence is that we use more here, but you're saying, and that's the same there, but for the population that, uh, that, that, uh, you know, that addiction medicine folks are so concerned about it's the, it's the under, under 18 crowd, uh, which cannabis we uh, we think can have a big impact. I think there's evidence that it does on young people. Yeah, yeah it's worse uh, under 18, but even under 24, it can okay. have a lasting uh, impact. So you're uh, saying um, the, the evidence is that population with decriminalization ultimately went down from what you... Yeah, yeah, but the, you have to remember what they had uh, going along with it, right? So if you were a minor and you were caught with possession, you still had to go to this uh, tribunal. It's not called a tribunal, but that group of people. Yeah. Uh, you had to have a lawyer with you because you were a minor. So the mm-hmm. lawyer had to sort of help out. They, they would, I think they gave permission about whether or not you wanted your family to know or not know, okay. uh, but they, they had very rigid rules and it's, it's a much more severe criminal offense to provide drugs to a minor uh, than it would be to provide drugs in other contexts, right? So, so I think they, they, they had the legal things very strongly protecting people okay. uh, for it. So what else is interesting about Portugal? At least for the first few years, uh, they had very good evaluation metrics to figure out, hey, is what we're doing actually working or not? And they had those tough conversations like, well, 
have we just increased the cannabis use because it's decriminalized, right? Because people aren't worried about the the risk or the consequences uh, any anymore. It didn't force people into treatment. I think that's that's a very very big big thing, uh, and they just really created a space for education and for uh, education and for uh, harm reduction supplies and the option of going into uh, care and uh, and treatment. And they also empowered you know these uh, social workers and these police officers to really feel like they're helping society as a whole. And the data. Uh, at least up to 2010 sort of pans out. I was looking at some of the more recent stuff, but I felt then all of a sudden it got much more nuanced because the stuff I looked at more recently was highly critical of the Portugal uh, system, Okay, you know, in terms of what it was, but I couldn't tell if it was data-based or ideological-based or it was based on a few sort of a subset of people. But at the end of the day, you know, I know when the Portugal model came out, decriminalization, our minds were like, wow, it's decriminalized. And then, wow, the overdose rates have gone down all across the board. What are they doing that's so special? And what are the principles that we can we can bring here? And and we're seeing some of the stuff being rolled out here, right? Like everyone's for for decrim, right? Everyone's for decrim. Well, I wouldn't say everyone's for decrim. I mean everyone in well, our in our field is for decrim, but I don't think we've sold it on the general public maybe. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't think I, I think maybe every yeah, in our little circle maybe everyone's for decrim, but I mean, I mean, there's a few medical organizations that have made statements about decriminalizing personal use. Well, well, again, and you have to add that little part at the end, right? So, fair enough. You know, and 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 that's where it does get very nuanced because yeah. that uh, that trafficking component is, is is so liberally applied when it's applied that that uh, you know from um, you know there from a true the true criminal sense of it. If if I handed you my joint. To, to have a toke of it, I am trafficking that joint to you. Yeah, that shouldn't be the case. Well, that's but a, I'm not. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a police officer. <laughs> right. I, well, but 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 it's a it, that that is a fact of the law. Hmm. I'm not saying you know, we can make normative statements about whether it should be that or shouldn't be that, but that is the law because that it, the money doesn't have to change hands. Just the substance has to go from my hand to your hand, and by definition of the law, as I understand it, that's trafficking. So that's where it gets, you know, and, and, and obviously that maybe is an extreme example, but, you know, me sharing, you know, buying, uh, you know, uh, when, when pot was illegal, me buying 30 bucks worth of pot and, you know, splitting the bag with you and selling, getting 15 bucks from you, that definitely is trafficking a hundred percent. And uh, so, so this is where it does get a little bit nuanced. And so we, you know, when we say decrim, it's like, there's a lot of folks that say, well, any, any of these charges has, has not been helpful to yeah, I, th- I think the the problem is you know when you when you have uh, any of these uh, cases right like depending on what lens you're looking at you're like you know you have to punch the person there has to be consequences or you need compassion and and we haven't found that balance of uh, both right for the same individual because you look at uh, what they did in Portugal the, there's a lot of compassion. But there's also a lot of structure and rules and things that they have to do in that uh, in that process. And while they don't force you to go into treatment, you do have to go to these uh, these, these meetings. So you do sometimes have to undergo uh, education. You do uh, sometimes have limits where you know, like you can have possession for personal use, but not for trafficking. But the, the personal use amounts are incredibly low. Okay. You know, like the, the amounts are like, yeah, I don't know. They're just incredibly low from what people use here and people use uh, today. Use. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, uh, I think the idea of decriminalizing personal use, I think is a very, very good one because before uh, people were scared to get help, you know, and we see that nowadays too, right? When people are scared to get help because the impact on their children or, or whatever that might be. I think creating a space where you can get help without having a criminal charge, I, I think is uh, helpful. I like if the I could stop you there for one sec, just about the decrim and, and I am a hundred percent for decrim by the way but but i am going to you know kind of bring a, a counterpoint of this too 
is that it seems in the few areas that I've we've kind of looked at it. I think uh, some uh, Portland and uh, Vancouver, uh, where decrim is kind of uh, in place. I understand. I think. I think. Don't quote me on that. Uh, definitely, uh, Vancouver. It is. Well, well, it's it's probably uh, probably a decrim in terms of practice. Well, in in, in certainly in right, and that that, that and it's probably and, been and, like that for a while. Right, and, 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 and in Toronto, it's it, it's getting close to that as well. So, but uh, my point being that the places where we have seen limited use of real decrim, the problem hasn't gone away yet, or even seemed to have gotten any better. Yeah, and I think I think part of it is um, that they're just rolling out the decrim without all of the other considerations okay. that are being done in Portugal, and they're also not rolling out any of the evaluation metrics. Like, I think uh, one of the fascinating things, one of the commentaries was saying this is the first time that they've seen the government follow the recommendations of any kind of panel at all, yeah. right? And it was just done. It was done fully. Like they they followed it to uh, to a T. And there were disagreements within the the group that put together the the original documents around the evaluation stuff. But at least they were able to. I don't know. I, I I just think like you know you can take one concept that is absolutely essential, and you can roll it down a way where if you don't do it in a nuanced way, it can cause unintended harms. Right. So uh, decrim without the supports. Mm, not not necessarily a, a win, like all by itself. There should be supports to go along with it. Well, we all both agree there should be supports, regardless for folks, right? I mean, that's the business we're in. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just I, I wish the world was so uh, simple, right? Uh, and and I, I hope that um, there's ways of rolling things out and evaluating what's working and what's not. And well, then, Portugal did it, is what you're saying? What's that? Well, they did roll it out with ways of evaluating yeah. it and with supports. Yeah, I just I just haven't read the criticisms over the last ten years. Okay, and I don't know if it's because I mean they still use terms we don't we don't use as much anymore, like addicts helping drug addicts get help, uh, making the goal to reduce use as being the primary purpose. You know, improve someone's life without drugs. You know, whereas I think nowadays here we're like, well, it should be your your right to use drugs, right? And you should be able to have uh, and 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 I agree with that. You know, to 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 some degree. I think if you're going to roll out a philosophy like that, you have to give people a way out the second there's an inclination that they want right. to use less, right? Because uh, because the thing is, you know, yeah, you just don't want to make it easier to stay in this cycle, you know, uh, than it would be to to have a different uh, approach. And I think historically, you know, they've just made it hard to stay in the cycle by charging people and putting them in jail, opposed to offering well, sure. treatment. And, right? and, so, and that's you know, kind of my pet peeve with our current system now is that the the minute somebody needs the resources and the help to to have that to, to to meet them where they're at and where they're at being I want to use less, we should have those resources. There should not be twelve week waits to get a treatment bed. That should not be the case, in my opinion. It's, yeah, I agree. I, you I know, agree with there that. should be the resources. If I'm not saying force people into treatment, but if somebody wants to go into treatment and we don't offer that resource, I think that's a lost opportunity. It's a huge lost opportunity. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think maybe I'll just sort of summarize the parts because you asked me the question about what, what parts do you think were interesting, and I can sort of I can sort of name them off sort of uh, broadly. Uh, the parts that I think were interesting was that it was a very unique context in uh, Portugal, and they developed and designed something specific to that context, and they they evaluated. They got rid of any criminal charge related to personal drug use, which is I, I think is good. They would direct people to these uh, panels that would either do education or provide harm reduction supplies or encourage to enter treatment and I'm not sure what kind of regularity of the meetings that were uh, there they changed the law enforcement from focusing on the individual to focusing on the trafficking and helping
helping protect the, the borders and stopping the entry of drugs into the... They made an extra effort to try to protect the, the younger, vulnerable people uh, and evaluate whether or not what they were doing was, 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 was effective. And, and yeah, I think those were the, the main things that uh, stood out for me. They had a few very creative public health initiatives in addition. So, for example, instead of having a national don't do drugs uh, thing, they would strategically get social workers or these, uh, they called them technicians, to go to these places like uh, concerts, parties, places where people would actively use. They would go there regularly for the sole purpose of education. Okay. And so anytime somebody wanted to learn something, find out about how to use it in a safer way, find out what the actual harm were they would be there and then they would have that same person in the same place repeatedly so you could build a relationship with them as well to okay. help with the teaching and stuff like that okay. and so so I think like they, they just it was just a very nicely designed and the, the evaluation metrics were so over inclusive maybe we don't need that much we can't have what we have now we need a better way to measure it we can't be rolling out a policy people are getting sicker and then say it's because we didn't roll out that policy enough it has to be much more nuanced yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot, if I'm understanding you right, it sounds like there's the, the resourcing. We spend a lot of money supporting folks that uh, have trouble with substances. We we all know that, but we spend it kind of on the, on the, at care, if you will, for lack of a oh, yeah, hor- that's the other part. Ho- horrible expression. Yeah, they, they said prevention is the biggest thing. Right, the, right. And that's why they're going to the, the people who are just using, that's why they had a special program for those that just use here and there. Right. And they had a whole separate kind of uh, a treatment arm, education arm for people. Like supports at raves and stuff like that, where, you know, where people yeah. are just are are dabbling if you will or experimenting that's exactly and, it. as you opposed know. to the people that are you know kind of that we're seeing that are you know 50 years old and they're 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 dabbling and experimenting has gotten them into you know some a lot of chronic health problems and we're spending enormous yeah. resourcing yeah absolutely they're putting a lot of time and effort into prevention and i don't know what the data says about does it reduce that use as people get uh, get older but the jumps aren't what they thought they were and people use a lot less there than they do in the rest of the european union right okay. than in portugal so I think that's... All right. Well, yeah. thank you for that. Uh-